Well, now let's go ahead and get into Untroubled Part 3, and I won't keep you super long. I think the stuff that we celebrated was well worth the time celebrating. So go ahead, without any further ado, get into your bulletin notes. And uh, we've been looking at this concept that in Christ that we can live untroubled in a troubled world. We all of us have trouble. We all of us have things that come at us. Some of them are unforeseen, tragedy, minding your own business. Things go sideways all of a sudden in a moment. Some things become progressive. Some trouble is trouble of our own making. Sometimes that's the hardest trouble to talk to God about because we feel like we did it to ourselves. And, and part of this is we just got to take our lumps and, and just deal with it. And the thing is, is God wants to be able to help us through all of these different, all of these different pieces. And John 16, is a truth we're going to come back to over and over and over again. It says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He wants us to have peace. And then he follows it up with immediately the next few words are words that you would think would rip peace away. He says in the, that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Well, guess what, Jesus? That's where I am. You, you told me you want to have peace, and then you tell me in this world I'm going to have trouble? That, that's kind of counter. It's, it's not a very good pep talk. I want, you to be, I want you to be really at peace. You're going to do really good. Oh, and it's, you're going to have trouble. That that's, doesn't feel like a very good pep talk, but the thing is, is it doesn't stop there. He says, but take heart. The trouble is going to come and try to rule your heart. It's going to come and try to rule the way you think and the way you make decisions. It's going to try to get in the driver's seat and make you reactionary. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's not this thing that, guess what, you can do it, you can go overcome the world. No, the promise is he has overcome the world. Now, Randy mentioned the truth that, that we look to and rely on and build our lives on the grace of God. That our relationship with God was not, is not based on how much we can do for him, but it's based on what he has done for us. And our lives are a, become a reflection of that, this place of gratitude. So all of a sudden we begin to shift with the work of the power in his life, and all of a sudden we become to reflect him and who he is. We become to be more loving, more patient, more kind, more generous, all of these different things, not in a place to please him, but because he is pleased with us in Christ. It changes the dynamic of everything. See, the heart is the seat of authority for your chooser. The mind, the will, and the emotions, that's what is referred to collectively as the soul. We're three parts. We are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. We live in a body. Part of the restorative process of seeing Sandoval's walk through their part and the attorneys walk through their part when there was the attack in the body is seeing that the, that that soul stayed in line with the spirit that he didn't step over into depression or impression tried depression tried to creep in you allowed the spirit to stir you up and redirect you to the fact that God's got a good plan with a good end in mind. All of a sudden things begin to shift significantly. I had a friend in college that a roommate here at ASU, and uh, he was from Brownsville, way down at the deep tip of Texas, 490 miles one way from here, and this was back in the early 90s when the speed limit on most roads was 55 miles an hour. And he drove from Angelo to Brownsville to see his girlfriend at home 
every weekend. Honestly, I thought I was pretty devoted. I thought it's pretty devoted to you, babe. And uh, she's watching at home. And uh, then I went to Odessa just about every weekend. Uh, you could go to Odessa and back four times for just getting to Brownsville. I mean, it is a long on. He would make this journey every weekend to go and see her and then come back and go to school. He, was a, he only did it for one semester. He immediately found a, a closer college to attend. And, um, but in that, he was on the road a ton, and he was constantly concerned about drunk drivers. And he had, he had thought that all of this time that I'm spending on the road, a thousand miles a weekend, he's up and down the road, lots of it late at night, and he was so concerned about drunk drivers. And so he had, he had looked at study him, and he told me, he said, you know, I, I already I have a plan. I know that if, I'm, if a drunk driver's in my lane, then the thing to do is to pull to the right, because all of a sudden, don't try to go around them to the other side, because if all of a sudden they come away, well, they're going to jerk to the right, and you'll end up having a head-on collision, and I just, if there's one in my lane, I'm just going to the right, I'm going to the, to the, to the edge, I'm to the shoulder, to the ditch, whatever I have to do, and, and I'm like, well, that's, that's great that you have a plan, I, I'd never even thought of this, and um, he was super concerned about it. Sure enough, this is before the days of cell phones and all of that, that. Yes, all you young people in the olden days when you had to have something with a, a wire in the wall. And uh, my phone rings at about 2.30 in the morning. And he's at a little convenience store about three hours from Angelo. And sure enough, he had had a wreck. And he just tell, doesn't tell me about it. He's just still real dazed. He, he had popped his head. He probably needed to go see somebody. And, and he just wanted to get back to Angelo. So I load up and I drive down there. I pick him up and I'm driving back. And I'm wore out and he's wore out. And I let him rest for a little bit. And, and then on the way back he finally begins. And I, I'm asking him, well, what happened? And he begins to relay the story. And just so you know, um, are any of y'all have... Uh, laughter as a stress response. All right, I feel your pain that you laugh inappropriately. And um, it's just a stress response. You're not making fun of anybody. I understand. And as a pastor, it's just terrible. You know, somebody tell you something and you're like, it's not, I'm not laughing at you. I'm really not. And so, um, yeah, I've had, I've had some near misses on that. Praise God. It's, Help me. And, um, but anyways, that, that's, that's my issue. That's my, that's my stress response. And um, my response to everything. And so, anyway, so he, uh, um, he's telling me that sure enough, he's coming around, an egg, coming around the corner. And he sees lights in his lane. And he's getting closer and closer, and he just starts freaking out. It's like, yep, these lights are in my lane. Man, these lights are in my lane. And all of a sudden, he's going along, going along, traveling along in his lane. And man, at the last minute, he just jerks to miss it, and boom, has a collision. Well, what he didn't realize is that down in the, down in the ditch was a car that was, had, had car trouble, and somebody had gone over onto the shoulder and used their lights aiming the wrong direction, which probably wasn't wise, and pointing it down there so they could work on this car. And as soon as he tells me, I see the whole thing play out from the people working on the car's perspective. And it just was funny. Because here's this truck driving down the highway, driving down the highway, driving down the highway, driving down the highway, and then at the last minute it goes, boom! 
and smashes into a car. It wasn't even going to hit. It wasn't even remotely going to hit. And it just, just at the last second jumps over. And they're like, what is the matter with this crazy person? Why did he do this? But it was his, his fear, his plan, all these different things got wrapped up in his mind. And he was already fearful. He was already do, in this place. And he makes the complete wrong response in that moment. Well, when he tells me this, I just bust up laughing. Well, he looks at me like I'm the biggest jerk on the planet. And uh, which I may have been, but um, it was funny from that other perspective. And uh, you know, the, <clears throat> you watch any kind of Disney show. My kids, you know, I got little ones in the house and we watch a lot of Disney. And man, I tell you what, Disney's favorite mantra is follow your heart, follow your heart. Well, I tell you what, that's one of the worst advice on the planet. It is, it just is. This isn't in your notes, but I wanted to give this to you. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 9, it says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. We begin to get into this place, and there's this little phrase going out, the heart wants what the heart wants. A lot, most of the time, the heart wants the wrong things. It gets deceived. It gets jacked up. You can follow your heart into misery, into heartache, into pain. That's why we don't lean on our own understanding, which is part of that heart authority seat we trust in God and the first place for us to get our thinking shifted and to be able to have untroubled thinking is to recognize that we're going to have to trust God even before ourselves we'll get all wrapped up see my buddy had a he had his thoughts engaged his mind will and emotions all of it had his mind he had thought about it concerned about it had a plan he had his will he was determined to do it and then fear comes in and his emotions demanded that he execute it and he does the exact wrong thing how many times have you and i felt like we've got in the middle of something our emotions get ramped up and we're convinced in that moment we're doing the right thing and a little bit of thought afterwards says man that was not wise things get off in a hurry see there's a battle taking place for your thoughts and we need to take our thoughts captive so that they can create more trouble for us let's look at second corinthians 10 it says for though we live in the world remember jesus already said in this world you will have trouble for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight <clears throat> the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power we're grateful that we understand that there's a spiritual struggle here and that God has given us his divine power now let's take let's take this real slow and let's look at what this divine power does it's there to demolish strongholds this place that is a little bit fortified, this place that the, that the enemy is, has, has dug some trenches and, and has got some deep roots. Many of us have some places where some faulty thinking and some faulty ideas about some things have dug some deep roots. 
Now, the strongholds in our minds, we could think that it's all about something else. It's all about this big thing happening in the spiritual realm, and we're going against the, the principalities and powers of the air. No, let's look at this. It says, we demolish arguments. That doesn't sound super spiritual. Where does most of your anxiety and trouble and whatnot happen? It happens as your head is going a million miles an hour with all this little reasons and all this little stuff. And the word of God can come in, the power of God can come in and demolish arguments and every pretension that sets it itself <clears throat> or pretense. This, this mindset, this thing that's made up in advance that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. Folks, this is why Celebration Church is so passionate about helping people to know God better and trust Him more. Why? Because we will then, if we're not trusting Him, we're trusting in ourselves and we get jacked up. It says we take captive, not every demon, enemy, spirit, all of these different things on the spiritual, the spiritual thing. These, the weapons that we fight with are so that we can take captive every thought. This is what's going on in our brains, in our minds. To make it, what? Obedient to Christ. You want to have untroubled thoughts, you're going to have to recognize that there's going to be this place of tension between your own ears, between trusting your own experiences, thoughts, mindsets, those deep dug things, and trusting what God's word has said. And so real quick, we're going to identify a few things that have created trouble for our thinking. And the first one is the traditions of men. Put in your notes also, a.k.a. the things that we make up that did not come from God. Mo, I love, I love the fact that God takes the pieces of our worship that are authentic and wonderful and looks through some of the other stuff. And we have this authentic moment with God. And sometimes we, he just validates us and we have this really sweet moment with God and we, we can be tripped up and think that it was some of these extra things that didn't matter that play this huge part in this when really it was just this raw, honest moment between you and him. And it wasn't the music style. We, you can worship with lots of different things. We can throw all the instruments away and worship and God enjoy it. We can use completely different things. And God, this is just our preferences. This is the place that makes us comfortable so we step into what really matters, that heart connection. We use our preference because then that's easier for we don't have to press in and, and have to deal with it. And we just, it's, it's a hurdle we're not having to jump. But the musical style isn't anything that is what's pleasing God. It's that heart connection is what is pleasing God. <clears throat> and we can do that with all sorts of different things. With buildings and service orders and the way you dress and the version of the Bible you read. Guess what? All of them were translated. All of them were. we're not, I'm not up here reading Hebrew or Greek to you. All of them took the concepts that were written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic and put them in our language. King James was not the inspired word of God. Neither is the NIV. And people like to call it the non-inspired version. Punks. And uh, 
It's the, it's the original heart. It's that that was communicated in the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic and so that you don't have to learn Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic and you can step up. With God. Then these, the Bible is translated in a language we, we can understand and we can connect with. And we can begin to put all of these other things on it. Then this is what makes God happy when you know what it is. It's you turning to Him and trusting. That's what is, makes God's day. That's it. I tell you, my daughter painted a picture of a tree, and I had to be told it was a tree. I had to be told. I didn't know what it was. But now it's an awesome tree. I see a tree every time I look at it. I appreciate that what that little three-year-old did, and she painted that tree and was so excited to give that to me. Now, from that point on, she's like, Daddy was pleased because this is a tree then all of a sudden we'd have to redefine trees forever. But it wasn't pleased because she did a perfect representation of a tree. It says she did something with a heart of love for me. We can't sit there and have some great moment with God and go, man, that was such a wonderful, powerful service. Man, we must have, all of that little stuff must have been just right. This is what this has to be painted like every time for us to have this moment. No, it's because somehow... You and I let the junk of the day and all that fall away and, and we got connected and we worshiped him together and that was what blessed daddy's heart. And we can let the traditions come in and just destroy it and we make it about that. And it's never been about that, ever. Mark 7, wow. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Hypocrites. Yep. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship, they worship me in vain. They were convinced they were doing it just right, and he says it's pointless. And before we start feeling real good about ourselves, you and I can do that too. We can, we can worship with the brand new cutting edge Hillsong United Bethel Jesus culture-y stuff you want to. And if it is not about connecting with the heart of God, it's pointless. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands, the heart of God, and are holding on to the traditions of men. And you said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. When it comes down to push, meet, shove, whether it's God's heart or your heart, you stick with you. You stick what you like. He goes on to say, you nullify the word of God. Ah. Huh by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Let's not let that happen. You know, we're so excited about the new building. We're so excited about it. It's time. But my prayer is that all of us are able to be able to actually connect in a new facility. So many times those warm fuzzies can imprint on a place. And what we don't want is for us to get over to a new place and go, man, I just missed the movie theater. I just was so much better at the movie theater. It's just different now. And it's just, I want to go back to the movie theater. 
You come in here in the middle of Expendables 14. <laughs> Fast and Furious 37. You stand up here and they're going to usher you out. We're going to ask you to leave. It's about the people, about the people connecting. Another thing can be our own plans and agendas can create trouble for our thinking. How many times have you created unnecessary trouble for you because you thought it has to go this, 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 and then it didn't, and then you're all kinds of sideways about it. When things end up okay, God ends up doing things. He, maybe he has a better plan than you had. Matthew 16, 13 uh, man, we are going to pick on Peter today. It says, then <clears throat> Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, but others say Jeremiah and one of the prophets. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been looking for this whole time. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. He says, you're, you're blessed. You're, on, you're in tune and you are hearing the Father's voice. This didn't come from somebody else. You are connected. So man, yeah, Peter's like, what's up, guys? Other disciples. I was hearing from God. Same interaction. Let's jump down a few verses to verse 20. It says, Then Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. This had just come out. Peter just, had just said he is. He's like, yeah, this isn't time for this to happen yet. Don't start going, we found Messiah. Just let me do my thing, but I need you to understand it. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter, who's a man who hears God, he's in tune with God, he took Jesus aside and rebuked him. He took Jesus aside and told him, you don't understand it right, Jesus. Let me line you out. You already understand I got a direct line to Papa God, so let me give you this. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. What a horrible thing. If Jesus never went to the cross, was never risen again, you and I are stuck in our sins as we talked about day one. We are dead in our trespasses. This is the thing that culminated what it came for. And Peter is just bowing up to him about it and says, never. Hmm. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and had another conversation with him. And lets him know he's been hearing from somebody else. Says, get behind me, Satan. Calls his best friend the devil. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You have laid yourself in my way in trying to trip me up. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of who? Men. He's acting like Satan, but he's simply got the things. He hasn't dipped down into the netherworlds and you've tapped into the mind of the, of the enemy. You're just thinking like a man. 
You should all of a sudden start thinking like a man, and you're completely jacked up. He had his own plans. He thought it needed to go a certain way, and Jesus presents this, and Peter, mm, all of a sudden, has an issue with it, and he bows up, and Peter is troubled about the greatest thing to ever happen for humanity. Jesus came to the cross, and it created trouble, mental anguish for Peter. And thank goodness that Jesus corrected him and brought it about. The last thing we want to look at real quick is the influence of other, <clears throat> that other people can create trouble for our thinking. This is Peter again. Poor Peter. In Galatians 2, 11, it says, When Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul writing to Galatians. It's an area. And um, a big region, like writing to the Texans. It says, And then Peter came to Antioch and said, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. He is writing this to the Galatians in his letter, saying Peter was messed up. Before certain men came from James, who was the guy who was the head of, the, of everything in Jerusalem, where all the Jews were, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles, those who aren't Jewish, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision, the Jewish people. And he says, and those, the, the other Jews joined him in their hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So here come these other people and they had been connecting and fellowshipping and worshiping with the other Christ followers just like they were Christ followers. These are people who are Jesus have their faith in Christ. They're Christ following Jews. They're believers. They're Christians. And there's just this tension about the way things ought to be done and they're still getting renewed in it. It created this major problem and Peter plays the hypocrite. He goes on in verse 14, it says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Again, the traditions of men finding its way in there. We who are Jewish by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in, in Christ Jesus just as we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because observing the law no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners does that mean that Christ promotes sin? No. If, <clears throat> if I rebuild what I destroyed I prove that I'm a lawbreaker for, though, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could have been gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's one of the strongest statements of grace Paul makes. And it's in that place of tension. Now, Peter shows us, he is such an amazing example, and shows us how to be, how to untrouble our thoughts, that we must simply let God's word define our thinking. Remember this place of tension between us, what we think, and what God thinks? Approximately 17 years later, <clears throat> after this Galatian letter is written, Paul is writing his own letter. And in 2 Peter 3, it says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. 
just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Part of Paul's writings he's referencing is this letter to the Galatians that points himself out as a hypocrite. And he takes that and equates it with Scripture. To a guy who was raised up in a Jewish tradition, there isn't a higher thing to honor somebody's deal than to equate it with Scripture and says, it is, this is Scripture. And he just aligned with it. So what does that tell us? Peter adjusted his thinking. He was willing to say, Paul was right. And we publicly, in, the, in Peter's own hand, get his thing that what Paul has said is right. Even when he points out that I was in the wrong, he's right. Folks, we want to get our untroubled thoughts, our troubled thoughts untroubled. We have to say, God, you're right. Your scriptures are right. I'm going to line up with you. I'm going to line up with your promises. I'm going to line up with your good report about my life. I'm going to line up with these things that you have said about my life. And I'm going to make my decisions based on you and not based on what I want or what I think is good or what I think is okay. The heart will deceive us. But God's truth and God's word will bring us into freedom. When we must choose to make God's, <clears throat> we must choose to make God's truth the foundation for what we think. And it's in that we can live the lives that we were created to live. I want to create a moment here where we can do what was so clearly talked about, which is stepping over from death into life by placing our faith in Christ and what he's done. Not in our ability to adhere to the Ten Commandments or anything else. Paul clearly stated that if the, observing the law could make anybody right with God, Jesus died for nothing. So what we do is we understand that he makes us right with God and then the Holy Spirit coming in renew us begins to make the rest of us line up with God. When we're already new creations and alive in him. 